Wake up, goddammit. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Taj Longino Show. If you haven't already, log on to the official website at TajLonginoShow.com. Also, if you have not downloaded our official mobile app to your phone, available right now, Android and iOS, type in Taj Longino Show and, um, on either, either one, and you can download our official mobile app, all right? Um, today, um, I wanted, we have a, we have a special guest today. I met her at um, a media event, networking event, and when she told me her story, for those who had an app and saw that live that we did, um, I wanted to do an extended version of that um, and get her story out to the city of people who may not know about it and the services that she and that, that she provides for young teen mothers, and um, I think her story needs to be told. So today I would like to welcome the founder of Pretty Passionate Hands, uh, welcome to the show, Paradise Bradford. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. I want I want you to give the people um, a brief, you know, background of yourself, and then uh, pretty passionate hands. Then we're gonna get into some. We're gonna get deep into the story, so we can let people know how we got to pretty, um, pretty passionate hands. Um, thank you. Um for having me on your show today, and I truly appreciate that. My name is Paradise. I am the founder and CEO of Pretty Passionate Hands. It's a nonprofit organization that supports teen mothers and fathers. We give them the basic life skills they need through mentorship programs, workshops, and um, taking them on life, real life experiences um, for them and their child, and then also meeting them where they are and give them the uh, basic essential needs they need to be successful parents and successful um, neighbors in our community. I um, am a mother of seven. I was a teen mother myself. Um, I had my first daughter at 15 and um, went through a, a whole lot. So we're going to talk about that. But um, Pretty Passionate Hands was founded in 2015 um, after I was released from prison. And um, I've been doing the work for many years and I did not know um, that it was a, a nonprofit organization is the work that was behind it. I didn't know anything about what I was doing except for that I was helping another parent that I seen struggle in any way I could help in the grocery store wherever. But then it became something that someone seen what I was doing and was like, this is what this is called. This is human work. You're a humanitarian. Like you need to really, if you can take this serious, I think what you're doing right now can change the, the world. So I'm here to take over the world with this project. <laughs> Number one, I am a director of a, a, a home child care. Uh, my my goal is to have pl- um, plenty, to have many child cares um, through Indianapolis area and also in Terre Haute um, and provide free, high quality child care to our low income families, regardless of their income, if they have CCBF, which is a child care voucher or any of those things, but provide them with high quality child care to get our um, children ready for the future to go to, you know, Head Start or kindergarten and have the skills that they need so that's my goal that's kind of who i am and yes so let's start let's start at the beginning um you had you had your first at 15 right you had your first child 15 Mm -hmm. so in during that time period what was going through your what was going through your mind when you found out okay you find out you're pregnant and now you're trying to figure out what's the next move how are you going to handle school? How are you going to handle anything? So in that time, I think a lot of young, uh, a lot of teenagers really need to hear what goes to a person's, you know, a, a teen mother's mind when they find out and they get hit with that news that they're pregnant, what it does to you psychologically, mentally, physically, the whole nine. So at that moment, when you find that out, what is going, what's going on through in your 
my impressions. Um, so, you know, I wasn't um, a, a student that went to school every day and was excited to, like, you know, be on the basketball team. My family didn't have any of that. My grandmother had 15 kids. My mom has eight kids, and my grandmother raised me. So I lived in my grandmother's house. And so I was the, the cousin that I seen all the cousins. They would come if something happened here, something happened there. So I was always naturally a caregiver. And, you know, in our in our household, you know, our moms and them, we don't know what trauma is. We don't know what generational curses is. We don't know what abuse mm. is. And so they mentally abused me and our families, you know, in our community a lot by saying, you know, if you don't do good in school, all you're going to do is get pregnant. If you lose your virginity, you're going to get pregnant. You're going to get out of my house. If you break your leg, you know, all that, th- those things that, you know, it's trauma. It actually gives a person a direction that we don't need to go down or go towards. And, you know, my family was very chaotic. There was a lot of things going on and not a lot of positivity things. So, I kind of took that as a tip to get out. And so um, at 14, I had lost my virginity and um, I lost that child. And I seen what it did to my grandmother and it hurt in a way. But, you know, um, there was other things that was happening in my household. And my grandmother had cancer. She didn't really speak much. Um, You know, our grandmas back in the day, they don't talk about what's happening to them because they want to be strong. So I know all of that. And um, I eventually got sent to my mom's house and, um, my grandmother raised me since I was 16 weeks. So I was, I didn't know the environment that my mom them had, except for like, I know that my brothers and them lived there. But when I would go on holidays, it seemed, it seemed okay. It was fun. Um, but I had a lot of freedom there. My grandma sheltered me a, a lot. <laughs> so getting at my mom's house and having freedom and kind of driving and doing whatever I wanted to do, made a bad decision. Met a guy there, had sex, and yeah, I was pregnant, and I didn't know him, but I knew my core values. I know how I was raised through my grandmother, and I was just like, damn, now, now I see the light, <laughs> you know? Right. I mean? Now, now was this enough, you know? So when that happened, and I talked to the guy, and he was like, we're going to have a pause for the cause. I never knew what rejection was. I never had a man, I never seen my uncles or my brothers and them, like, really disrespect a woman. Um, so when he said that to me, I think that was the first time I felt like a man's trauma outside of having an absent father. So um, when that happened, my first instinct was like, you're pregnant, tell your mom, tell your dad, and then tell this guy. But I think I did that wrong. And I told him and he said that. So I just ran downstairs and told my mom, like, I'm pregnant. And she was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I'm pregnant. And they were look, both looking at me like, what is she talking about? Like, and my dad's like, okay, give us a second. Like, calm down. Tell me, you know, what's going on? I'm like, I'm pregnant. And my mom was pissed. She was pissed. She was just like, you know, um, keep the baby or get out of my house. I mean, if you keep the baby getting out, like you need to have an abortion, all these things. And, you know, that's just, I can't help you take care of no kid. You know, that's what our parents think at the time my mom's very bold she ain't gonna sugarcoat nothing she don't sugarcoat shit like when I say what she gotta say she said and then it take it how it is but that's how she is I pick up that habit from her very much so um and I don't think that what she was saying at the moment was meant to be like that but I did I took the step that I said okay fuck it I'm gone so I stayed a little longer and um ended up leaving um with my second child's father so I didn't know where I was going I just knew that I like kind of went in survival mode. And when I got in survival mode, that was probably the worst decision of my life. 
that I felt like I had to fight through life or I had to protect myself through life than live life. And I think I, I think that's where the everything went wrong. Okay, so, so like, so when you when you got pregnant, you got pregnant the first time, mm-hmm. and then you said you left with your second um, child's father. What did you what experience what what did, what experiences did you take from the first situation? into the next situation um, good and bad because then you end up pregnant again yeah so w- when I was 14 um, I lived in Michigan with my grandma at the time so that was the first time I got pregnant I had a miscarriage so okay. then the second time I got pregnant I was at my mom's house that would be my second my second pregnancy and I got pregnant when I left um, when I left my mom's house I got with my second child's father so, but I hadn't had the baby. I was five months pregnant with my daughter at the time. He was um, my weed man and stuff. So he was like, you come stay with me. Of course I can. Why wouldn't you? Like, right. You know what I'm saying? So right. he was never disrespectful. He really, like, he catered to me. Obviously, I had everything my baby needed by the time she was born. Like, he made sure I got the doctor's appointments. I was working. I didn't really see the environment except for, oh, this is help. You know what I mean? He, he cares so much because he don't have to do this. Just very naive and not even understanding what's really growing in this situation. Um, so I was I was set. So that's the good things. I had everything that I needed um, when she came. Um, I was in an environment where I was eating and I didn't have to like worry about those things. Um, his mother taught me a lot. She taught me a lot. She took me under her wing and she taught me a lot. Um, but it got very, very ugly once I had my daughter and I let him sign the birth certificate because he was the one that was there. That was a big mistake. <laughs> so I did that, and then... Um, Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. You said things got real ugly. He's, he goes nine months taking care of you, making sure you make it to the doctor, making sure that you're going to have everything that you need, right? So where did it go wrong, and why did it go wrong? And then you said you let him sign the birth certificate, and that was a mistake. So... <laughs> Um, again, 15 years old and don't know what the hell life is. I thought that he was a protector and I thought that they were really there for me. Um, I I just look at it so different now because I know now I didn't know then. So I just thought I was in a safe place and I thought I was around people who really loved me. But now that I'm looking back, I know that was the point where I had the red flags is what we call it now. Back then, we ain't known about red flags or saying red flags, but that was the red flag moment. Let me, let me stop you real quick. I don't want to interrupt you, but I think I know where you headed with this. How old was he? 26. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah, that's it. I didn't know. I didn't. That was the first red flag. So when I got to the hospital and he encouraged to let him sign the birth certificate, that was it there that I knew or I should have known then this ain't right because no man should just want to up and sign a man's birth certificate. They, baby daddy, you know this. We weren't that in love. We had just met each other, what, seven or eight months ago. He had been my weed man, but like he wasn't, we wasn't nothing past that. You know what I mean? So I think it was just a time that he could take advantage of a person that, he wanted to take advantage of and mold and it worked for a few years so um where the, the turning point there went is I went back to do my three month checkup and I was pregnant with his daughter mm. and that just that was where life went completely different and he became very abusive and controlling that was a, the 
turning point of my whole life there. I never had been hit by a man. My dad never whooped me. So, like, I never met my brothers. Like, we fought and stuff, but, like, my brothers them never hit me. Like, my grandma did not tolerate that. Like, a man does not do that no matter what. So, when he hit me, I was just like, did this man just hit me? And I lost all trust. I lost everything at that moment for him. And I, I, I was scared. I was very, very scared from that moment. And then I went into super... I guess I went, I got very defensive and I felt like, okay, there's no way to go back home. So what do I do? And I just started thinking about how do you survive this until you figure out what you got to do. And I, that's when I started becoming more of a, I would say a survivor. Everything I did, I was thinking strategically, how do I do this? How do I do this to get out of this situation? How do I do this to get out of this? And that day was just, it never came to an end for a long time until I actually got out of it. And so you, you, the way you describe yourself as um, at that time period, you were a thinker, right? Yeah. It sounds like you were a thinker. So what? And, and I'm trying to paint. It, I'm just, I'm just trying. We get for everybody's watching. I'm getting to a point, right? We get. I'm just trying to paint a picture. We're trying to show you how we, how she got to where she is now, and why she's uh, advocate. 14 moms and fathers, and and so we're just we we're taking you on a journey here, but <laughs> if. You seem like you always thought about your moves. Mm-hmm. That what? came even when I was a little girl with my friends. We sneaking out. I'm in charge of boss. I know how we ain't going to get trouble. If we get in this car with this dude and we don't know him, this is how we get now. If we see they going the wrong way, we already know. Like, I've always been that that friend has always been the, the overseer. Like, okay, no. How do we get out of this situation if something go wrong? What if they try to do this to us? How are we going to do this? That's right. always been me looking for the exits. Like, just always been that that girl it was me so, even with and even with and so with all that you didn't it didn't hit you that being with this older man that knows he's breaking the law at this time because what year is this I, i'm pretty sure it's the 80s 90s somewhere in there 2006 yeah yeah so he, he law breaking big time yeah. so i didn't know nothing about what sexual uh what was that um um yeah, yeah, yeah. statutory right. Yeah, I came from a small town, by the way, so we didn't have, we didn't do all that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but didn't so it didn't never hit you that being with this older man was um, just wasn't, especially coming from a big family, brothers, father. It never dawned on you. I think because once I got emancipated and nobody around me looked at me as a child because I was on my own, I didn't see anything wrong. Now, if I lived at home with my mom then, then they definitely would have said, you ain't going with no 20-year-old man. You know what I'm saying? So once I had got emancipated, it was just like, it was okay to everybody around me. And I was going to get to that. Nobody seen nothing wrong because I was on my own. Like, and I literally was on my own. So they just didn't see nothing wrong with it. And so I didn't see anything wrong with it. When I look at my pictures now, absolutely. I'm like, that is just, uh, like, look at you. You are a child. Yeah. I definitely look at it differently now. And so when you, you know, when, you, when you're mentoring these young girls, what is your message to them as you see them kind of going down the same paths and, and seeing nothing wrong with dating older men when they're that young? And what is your message to them? Um, I say facts what I do with my moms. I tell them what I've been through. I don't tell them what it looks like or what could happen. I literally tell them when that man punched me in my face because I didn't do what he asked me to do or I came in the house and, you know, I wasn't cooking at 16 years old. Like, 
I don't even know that that's what you're supposed to do. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. I'm like, no, no, there's no book that comes with telling a grown man the communication skills. We don't understand things they want us to understand. But then again, if you think about a man who's with a 16 year old girl, that he couldn't want too much logically in a man's from a man's view but it happens like that but trying to please him and how things roll it doesn't go like what we think when we're at mom's house on the phone talking to him and he's telling us all of these great things when you step out and you give this man control abuse is real it's very much real so we when i'm when i talk to them i I tell them i'll tell them what i've been through i've told them how one of my child's father the guy that i had a child with i didn't want to have sex and he raped me like that happens What's I going to do? Call the police because, you know, trying to tell the police this man raped me and I got his kid right here and we live together. It's it's a whole nother stream of what communication that you can't explain. And that's trauma. And you're going to lose all these values that you have for yourself with the older man because it's called manipulation, which we don't know that at 16. It's called gaslighting. We don't know those words. And for us, I'm sure that 16 year old that's going there, it's like, what are you really with him for? What are you really getting out of this before you make that step? Because is it because you you need diapers? Is it because you need $20? Like, what is the reasoning behind it? Because it definitely can't be love. And just telling her the mentality of a man that is 26 years old that is, could be attracted to you at this moment, that is a rapist, that is a pedophile. There's nothing that you can do for this man. Nothing. There's nothing you can do. I don't care if you say you've grown or you got a job or you're emancipated. There's nothing you can do for him just it's not and on his point it's disgusting it's disgusting it's wrong and even even i was going to touch on that too on emancipation that emancipated at 16 that was a very bold move that was a very um how can i say like that was that was a huge step Mm -hmm. to take what what made you want to what made you want to do that when i got pregnant with my daughter i really wanted to have her in a place that i was not in I didn't want her to be around the places I was when I was growing up. I did not want people to tell me how to do it because I know where it all went wrong for me. So I wanted to do it my way without having boundaries. And the only way to do that was to be emancipated. I wanted to go to to the doctors every time I needed to go and not have to have my mom or dad there. And if they wasn't there, I couldn't be seen. You know, I wanted to be able to make sure I had, you know, WIC and I did all the different things I needed to do for me and my child to have a healthy pregnancy. So that was my first fear of, oh, if I'm here, they're not going to do these things for me. And, you know, I had to sit down and write a letter to the judge as well to convince them that I'm eligible to be considered an adult. This is why. So with those things, I think that validated to me as well that I could do this. School wasn't like really an option for me because I wasn't a person that likes to read books and learn or sit in front of somebody and tell me what to do. Put me in the game and let me show you what I can do. And if you see that something's wrong, then you can polish me up in that area. But let me show you what I'm good at because I can do things better hands on or if I happen to figure it out, I'm that type of person. So school wasn't going for me. I still had the schooling fresh in my head and I knew, excuse me, I still had it fresh in my head. So the GED, what sounded right for me, it's like, listen, I already know what I'm trying to do. If I lose this little bit in this toxic situation I'm in, it's not going to be any good down the road. Then once I have my baby, I'm not going to be focused on school at all. It's going to just become a reason why I can't get to class every day, a reason for this. I didn't want to do that. So I I figured using the little bit of um, the skills I had right now to do the things I needed, I I needed to be out on my own to be able to execute it with no boundaries. Okay. 
So you have a, you got a total of seven kids now. Yeah. You had the first one at fifteen. When did you have your second one? Sixteen. Sixteen. Then I had a uh, daughter that passed away. She would be third. She would be twelve right now. I had her when I was. Don't give me the line. I don't really remember after that. But I have 2006, 2007, 2010, 2011, 2016, 2008, 17, and 2022. Ooh, you were playing. <laughs> you were messing Just know, just know they say it runs in the family. Cause my mama, my grandma, from down south, that's that Watts water is what we call it. So it happens like that if you don't careful so i didn't get the picture obviously so i know y'all gonna ask about that gap that gap is the time i was in prison and so yeah. just, i mean it just yeah and yeah we want to we want to touch on you know we want to yeah. touch on all that but i mean it's so much to to unpack <laughs> it's so much to unpack so you have you go you know you, have, you lost your first one to to you lost the first one um then you had your second one so at that time and then you said the abuse started now here's Here's the here's the one area I really want to touch. I want you to touch on because a lot of women need to understand this. Whether you're old or young, uh, domestic violence is is huge, right? Um, so many women have lost their lives, come close to losing their lives because of domestic violence. They're scared to leave. They don't know what to do. They're scared to tell anybody. Fear this man. What words of wisdom and encouragement can you give not only teen mothers, not only teens that are in abusive relationships? Also, grown women who are in abusive relationships who are trying to find a way out. Um, number one is it doesn't stop. It gets worse. They're always sorry until they almost kill you or until you can't respond back or, you know, until you go fight for help. And I know that's when they're the sorriest. They, they're so sorry, but it doesn't stop. So my thing is... I know it's very hard and that's what I'm building this organization for. We need a place that really gets us out of it. And most of those places are full. They're at their capacity. There's different, there's different reasons why we can't get that help immediately. But when you want out, get out that first time you want out. Find that support. If it's community, if it's a friend, if it's whoever, like really find that person and get out. But you have to speak up. And I mean, sometimes with the police, I can speak or this myself they don't help us like they need to because 95% of the time a lot of us go back or we don't go to court or we don't really follow through but if you gotta get out it doesn't get better it doesn't now you see a lot of a lot of women go back at, after they leave why is that why is that if, if why does why do women go back after they leave I'll speak for myself um, lack of support I didn't have anywhere to go to um, mm. and then I just when you when you go somewhere you need help it's not can need them to help you right for a couple seconds and different things like that there's so many rules to the ones that do help that have the capability to help you that every situation is different and i stand on that to say that that's how my organization is when you come in every family is different we have a curriculum and whatnot and what we serve but everybody's needs are different and we got to come to understand that and I think that's where we slack as a community when we're trying to help these women get out. If you can't help me right now, like literally if I tell you I can't stay in Indiana, can you please ship me to another state? Because that's how dangerous he is. A lot of women aren't going to be vulnerable to come in and say, yeah, he's a drug dealer. He got people. I can't put him in jail because they're going to come for me. But I need to if I'm getting out, I need to get all the way out because he's crazy enough to come here because he's scared that I know too much and that I might just say too much. You can't put me downtown. Everybody know where downtown shelter is. He ain't stupid. Like these, they, they know these things. So 
it's it's more of a risk if you can't get the full support when you take that leap to to move or that leap to leave. You can't get that support, and a lot of women just go back because it's just much easier. You know. What you about those? What about the situation where you know uh, it's the first time, right? It's the first time mm-hmm. he hits you, and everybody's looking like, "Why you got glasses on? Or what, what's going on? He shouldn't be hitting you." Oh, he said he was sorry, and it doesn't happen for a very long time, right? Let's say it's a couple years that passed, and it happens again. From your experience, why don't people take that initial, that first initial, you know, when somebody says, hey, you know, Barry shouldn't put his hands on you. Why is it, what about it, is it the first time when you really think he is sorry versus listening to your support system when they tell you, leave? Love is crazy, number one. A lot of us probably, I, I don't know where women stand when they are first hit, but I would say you first hit pretty much in that stage where you don't believe he's going to do anything wrong because wrong doesn't come to you until he hits you. But really the mental abuse, the emotional abuse is there, but we don't see it as abuse because in a lot of situations are like, oh, if they don't hit you, it's nothing. Like my, 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 my first abuser, he used to just hit me all over my body. I couldn't take my coat off and different things like that for a whole night. You know, and I couldn't, you know, take my pants off or bend over. So it was all on. They they are strategic as well as they abuse. So he would do that. Hit me on my arms, places that you never hit. I never got hit in my face until my second abuser. Never got how, hit in my face at all. How and many? Abuse, how many abusers have you had? Um, and I'm not being. I'm, just, I'm dead serious. I mean, because again, you, you, I, you know, as we're talking, I'm thinking like. You think these you, you, you're a thinker, so you you got out of one situation that you knew, and then now you end up in another one. Um, what was so different about those situations? Um, the the different forms of abuse, the different support that comes through each one of them. Um, not really identifying what's wrong okay. until it's wrong, you know. Okay. Um, and each one, I will say that I got better with leaving. Each one I tolerated less. Each one I seen, I get what we call a red flag immediately. It was a turnoff. But also each one I had my expectations set from the go. Okay. You know, so it was like, you know, if you do this, it's done. So, and then I had, each one of them had their own flaws. So all of my, and I say each one is because my children, I have seven baby daddies. Each one of my kids have a different father. So each one of them were different in, in their own very way. And I just, the more that I had children, the less I tolerated. That's just how it was. And as you see how far apart my kids, I mean, how close my kids are, it was like that. It was like that. My first baby daddy, um, it was really nothing. Actually, he wants, (laughs) actually, he trying to fix what he's done to me emotionally. I think he has now reached that point of a man and he realizes what he's done. And I tell him, it's not that I don't forgive you because I still talk to you, but I went through a lot of stuff because of that decision of you saying you didn't want to be involved in my child's life for absolutely no reason. And we're in the same city seeing each other and it made me angry, but it made me vulnerable to anybody who wanted to look or talk or whatever. So to get back to your question though, um, it all looks different. It all looks different. And I didn't leave because I didn't have nowhere to go. And then the times that I did leave, it was difficult, but I realized how easy it got each time I left though. So like, I just went into the relationship with an open mind, like, okay, I'm not going to love him this hard until it's like this, but 
unfortunately for me, I got pregnant every time. So instantly I thought I'm in love. I'm pregnant with this baby. We're going to be this. They were great fathers to my previous kids. So it wasn't like they just walked in and was abusive. Insecurity in our black community with our men who are not taught by a man or who don't understand how to identify as a man. That's where the abuse comes as well. When you get a successful woman, they don't know how to handle that. When you get a woman who doesn't want to settle for less, they don't know how to handle that. And it comes out in abuse and it comes out when they're drinking. It may come out when you are excelling in front of them and they feel like they're no longer needed. A lot of my relationships started with me needing the man at the moment. Mm. You know, and then once I got there and we are family, okay, we got apartment, we got this, we're doing things. I started focusing on the things that I need to to, to complete. And that makes the man insecure because it's like, oh, what are you doing? Trying to be great because you're about to leave me? You you know, what are you trying to do all this for? You don't want me no more? You think you better? And I've always dealt with that with the guys. But now that I look at them, boy, I should never been with your ass. Like, like, did you? And I didn't know what self-love was like I do now. I'm like, what were you? <laughs> I am embarrassed of my children's fathers. Okay. Because I look at it and I'm like, this is why this was happening I was I'm I'm different I'm different even as a, a young woman I'm different I knew that I had to take care of my children but I was different so I settled for things if it made sense at the moment and if it do make sense I use it for those moments and then once it was time to, to execute I'm out of there not because I wanted to I wanted all my kids dads to be in their life like I still they can pick up the phone right now I never set a boundary to exit them out no matter what happened to me so it's just they make their own choices, and uh, so even with, with your with your story, right? Seven kids, seven kids, fathers. Um, has anyone like do people judge you? Like when you when you when they hear your story and you're trying to help them, and they hear your story, are they quick to judge and, and question? You know what I mean? The motives and what you're trying to do because of your, you know, uh, because you have seven kids, you know, seven different people. Like these people are judgmental. Mm-hmm. You know, people are judgmental. So do you have, do you deal with any of that? Or are you, is it, <laughs> I'm going to let I you um, It's really a more, the first question is, do they all live with you? That's the first mm-hmm. question. And my answer is absolutely. The only time my kids did not live with me is when I was in prison. And when I came home that first year from prison, I was I had to go through some, some struggles to get back on my feet. That's the only time in the 15 years that I've been a mother have my children not lived under the same roof with me. And both of those were barriers. I didn't have no place for them to live. And I was not even living. I was in prison. So those are the only two. So that's the biggest thing that I do get. And then when I tell them I got seven baby daddies and my kids are so close, I just got to tell my story. Listen here. If you ever mess with drug dealers, they can go to jail immediately. And it mostly happens for women. I don't know if it's just me, but every time I got pregnant and had my kids, their dads went to prison then. And my kids' fathers got extended prison sentences. They weren't coming home. But that gave me time to really look at, am I about to ride out for this dude who been kicking me upside my head? Hell no, this is my way out to detach that love that I think I have so strong. So that was a disadvantage for me as well. When a dude go to jail, that was it. It was easy for me to leave, but I cried. Of course, I cried that first five minutes. How is uh, my baby's not going to see their dad? But then here come all the the bitches that come out. Oh, I was messing with him. They showing up in court. And so all that stuff was helping me detach from that that feeling that I had. Now, the bad thing was I got lonely really quick because I suffered with abandonment. So I moved to the next guy and I have to be honest with them. And I explained that. But then I told them because I moved so quickly, I walked right back into what I just left out of. Cause you don't give yourself. You never gave yourself time to heal and get over get over the last 
uh, traumatic situation, and then so you end up just taking that taking that baggage on to the next situation, just repeats itself over and over. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, you spoke several times about the only time you was away from your kids when you was locked up. Do you mind telling us what you got, what you was locked up for? Um. So 2000 and maybe nine or hold on six seven so maybe it's 2007 um my little brothers them got into an altercation and i'm the oldest sister so <clears throat> excuse me i went to go support my brothers them and i was like y'all trying to fight my brothers and i'm the oldest one of my little cousins and then they fighting with this group of boys and i go over there trying to save everybody and we beat them up they call the police on us and anybody know Tara Holt is like this big and yeah. It doesn't take much to get in trouble, but it take everything to get out. And so that's what happened in my again, being that woman and that that protector that I am, I took the charges for that, thinking that um I didn't want my little brothers them to lose their future. I didn't want anything to happen to them. So my cousin was from out of town and my uncle didn't play that shit. If he got in trouble, everybody was gonna get in trouble. So I was like, forget it. I'm the oldest one. I I would just take it. Not, I didn't know the justice system. I didn't know anything. So I thought that they were going to lock me up and we tell the truth and that's it. Well, it went a whole different way. Mm. And so um, the guys that we got in a fight with, one of them got scratched across his stomach, I guess. And um, I had a pocket knife in my car. We had, um, I think it was like fireworks or something because they said they had what the, they were shooting. Out. However, I don't really know what happened before I got there. I just know I got there on the ass end and I was trying to fight for my brothers and support them. So the guy got his stomach scratched and somehow they said that I cut him. It was never an illusion. There was never anything. Um, and there was never a cut. There was never a scratch. Evidence, there, blood, nothing. nothing. He didn't come to court. Nothing happened. But because another thing I teach my families, we don't know the justice system. Once they get you, they can tell you anything. anything yeah. It scared the shit out of me because of my my children's fathers. Now, this goes back to this. He had a warrant out for his arrest. I didn't know anything about dealing in cocaine. I didn't know nothing about you go to jail for selling drugs. And I swear it may sound so unreal, but like my family was very quiet on when my family members did stuff. But we didn't have a lot that went to jail. Like we didn't have, I didn't have uncles in and out of jail. We just had uncles that fought and their kids came over. So it was completely different. Um, I never had cousins that deal and that was just out there dealing and, and went to jail. So I didn't know. And so when I got into the um, the jail, they were asking me, like, we want to know what he is, who he this, who that. And I'm sitting here telling them, like, y'all don't even know what I've been going through at home. This nigga be knocking me upside my head. I don't know shit. And they did right. not believe me. They're like, well, if you don't want to cooperate with us, you know, you're facing time right now for what you did. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. And they're like, yeah, you did. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do nothing to this guy. I never, I never cut him. The knife that y'all found, that, that was a pocket knife that was in my car. I don't even know how y'all found a pocket knife, honestly. You know, it was just all this bombarded me trying to get to my child's father. And I did not know that until now that that was the, the goal behind them questioning me and doing these different things. So I didn't cooperate because I didn't know what to tell them because I did not know. But um, they ended up giving me assault with a deadly weapon as a charge. Mm. And they gave me a... Um, public defender oh yeah it was over yeah yeah and i was like what is this class c felony i know they've changed it now to like the different levels or however they um do it but it was a class c felony then and um they told me i assaulted him and i was like i didn't the guy didn't come to court but the the public defender kept telling me oh you just plead so you can go home i sat in the county too so i would have missing my kids my there was my two daughters at the time they were young and um they were like um the public defender was like, oh, you're just going to get some probation time. 
So just sign this. It didn't explain to me what the probation time was, anything. He gave me probation time. I signed 10 years probation and for something that I did not do. I did not stab that man. I didn't scratch him. I never picked up a pocket knife. Literally did not do that. And it took 10 years of my um, life on supervised probation. And I lost my, um, I was in Ivy Tech at the moment because I had got my CNA and did a lot of different things at that time that was going great. I had just got accepted in the nursing program and I lost all of that because of assault with a deadly weapon. Can't have that on your record doing those works. Um, And that really is what broke my soul. And I just didn't give a fuck no more i started drinking and um the relationships kept rumbling police calls kept coming in i kept messing with dope boys and never really understood anything about it i just liked the life and the adrenaline and having all the stuff that came with it um and i met one guy that i really really cared about he was more on the heavier side and really could provide and do things and a girl came around trying to take him from me and it was over and so um started fighting over him that's the first time I fought over a man but I fought over him and uh she pressed charges against me so I violated and when I violated uh. um they sent my ass to prison so I was supposed to go for uh six months but when I got to Rockville they didn't have the program there the guy I was messing with was messing with one of the security guards that worked there as well so she put in a complaint and then we was like a I think it was <coughs> the um inmate to staff conflict so they sent me down to, to IWP and that changed my life that's the day they were like we don't got that program you need that's at Rockville you can't go there so you gotta do your time and I did three years because the plea bargain wow. was a program you can get out or if you, buy, if you don't complete the program you do six you do three years and yeah you have been you <laughs> 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 you got all my bad decisions, man. All because of no guidance. All because, like, so, during all this time, you know, I never had one woman in my life to say, "You're stupid," or "What are you doing?" or "Get over here," or "Let me help you." Like nobody decided to stop. So going now, on. let me ask the million dollar question: mm-hmm. Who's Paradise Bradford today in 2023? Paradise Bradford is the founder, the CEO, the director of Pretty Passionate Hands, an advocate for our team, mothers and fathers, a community leader, um, a black woman who has excelled to greatness through life skills and survival. And I am a mother of seven children that I love dearly. And I am the representation of a survival a surviving black woman, a surviving teen mother. All right, Whew. that was a that was a <laughs> that was a lot. Now, and during your time, and I'm not trying to make light of any of this because this is this is stuff that's going on every single day. And the sad part is, a lot of young girls don't make it out. Yes. Um, they end up getting pimped out, uh, or they end up on drugs permanently, or they, they don't make it out of the relationship alive. Or it's a lot that goes. A lot of these young, a lot of these women don't make it out. Mm-hmm. When you, when the time, the three years you did, at what point during that sentence did you say enough is enough? I need to change. I think it was my th- uh, my second Mother's Day that I didn't see my child. They wouldn't bring my kids to see me. It just wasn't convenient enough for them or whatever the reason was. And that really broke my heart because those days behind bars, representation of a mother is everything for me. Like I stood on that because I didn't want to be the mom that my mom was. I wanted to be 
the mom that my grandmother was, but I wanted to do it differently. But also I lost, I lost my rights. Like I felt like I lost the only thing that I was on earth for. My kids are my purpose. Like my kids are the ones that I sleep with at the end of the day. When the doors close here, it's me and my kids. So that's who I feel my purpose is here for. It's nobody else but us. And when I wake up, they're the first persons that are here. So that day in prison that I couldn't tell somebody to bring me my kids or they felt like I was entitled on Mother's Day to see my children, it broke my soul. And that was the day that I was like, no, I sat there. Um, actually, I went back to my cell and I was in there with the lifer. And she was like, what's wrong? And, she, and, and I was like, I mean, she's like, this is the day, isn't it? She's like, you feel it, don't you? And I said, I do. She said, I've been here for a long time and I'm never leaving. And I've seen a lot of people, but there's something about you that's special and you're not supposed to be here. She said, I see them come and go. But for you, I just don't see that. You need to really sit down and think about what you've done and why you ain't coming back. That was a year before my release. And I wrote Pretty Passionate Hands in a book. I came home with a red notebook and it had everything in there. I said, one day I'm going to have me a building where I'm going to be able to make sure that nobody went through what I went through if they're a teen mother or father, because it could change the future. So your future can look so different with support. I get a lot of moms who say, I don't know, like successful teen mothers that I meet now, they're like, they're the deputy mayor of Indianapolis. She was a teen mother, but she had she had the support she had the support and look who she is so just think if all of us black women had that support if we had that support or somebody to say hold on a minute yeah you are a mom but you can still make these choices you can still do it the right way life will be so different and it's so opposite there's so many that don't have that support so I feel like if I did have the support I wouldn't be the woman I am today I would not be who I am today I wouldn't be able to advocate for those moms that didn't have the support. But I did have something different in me. I wasn't going back to prison. I was never going to let somebody tell me about what I could do with my children. And I was never going to fail them again because I made my daughters feel like I felt when my mom left me with my grandmother. You know, like I felt like I didn't have it. So that's the thing for me. For me and my children, I don't mind being a mother of seven. I don't mind knowing that seven great people are going to come from me, that they're going to be great in whatever area or whatever they take. They will always have a mother who loves them and supports them with anything that they do. You know, that's my biggest thing. But to stretch it to what power I have now by being proud of my story and advocating, I can speak for all those moms and I can relate to every single one of them that walked through. I almost relate with them very much except for my moms who have support at home and they just feel like they know right and mom's just driving them crazy and I'm like baby girl believe me when I tell you you're going to appreciate this so very much because if it go another way or you have to walk the roads I walk you're going to wish she was there telling you what to do please and I encourage them to like please understand life can go differently but without that support Without that support, like, I I think that that's the biggest thing. Even like you said, when we talked earlier about domestic battery, we have to know that there's somebody right there that can say, I got you. It's such Mm -hmm. a huge difference. And I want that. I want that. When I walked out of prison with my notebook, I will come. I came to Indianapolis and I seen all these empty buildings. And I'm like, oh, I can use this building, man. I can use every room in here and it will be this. And then it was all the things that giving people the opportunity to take them for who they are. Take them for who they are and let them bring out the greatness. It ain't got to be through a book. It doesn't have to be because they have a degree. It doesn't have to, like, well, there are very talented people in prison who are never going to come home that can design yeah. clothes from a prison sheet. 
better than Doji and Gabbana and all of these people. Like they literally can make clothes out of nothing. They can cook out of nothing. And I would always just sit there and say, "We'll get creative in there." You know, I'm like, if y'all was on the outs, like, do you know how this will work? But they're never going to be on the outs. But they are surviving. They making pizza. They want pizza. They don't want noodles. They they figure out on a commissary list how to make pizza. So like these are the mindsets of people like me who we went to prison. I got a second chance and I wanted to make sure that I could fix that for anybody else who think that it's not possible because we have made sure we've shown that it's in, that that we are going to reenter. We've made sure we got plenty of people to show that they are going to get out and do the same thing. But we have not a lot of people that come out and say, I did not do the same thing. This is who I am. Look at me. Now, I got a question because... Um... They put you with a lifer? Yes. And you were doing three years? Yes. Oh, uh, it ain't no boundaries to who you get made it with. You get made it with whoever, wherever a space is. Absolutely. Yeah, I, but I, 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 I've never been, I, I mean, I've never been locked up, but I, I, I thought that they put you with, you know, if you were level four, you were other level four, all y'all pretty much saying to committed the same type of, hang, you know what I mean? And then level ones. And, and so for them to, I'm, so it's completely different um, with women's prisons and I think a lot of people need to hear this as well we see these man prisons yeah. you ain't never going to get a cell phone in the women's prison and if you do you go into the hall believe me when I tell you that we don't uh-huh. fight back like the men fight back so all it, it just it baffles me to know what I've seen some women lose time like literally two days before they're about to go home they lost time and I see these men on live in prison on live they got cameras they got phones it could never at least it ain't happening now. You I know don't. what? You know what? It's funny that you brought. It's funny you say that because when I'm on TikTok, mm-hmm. a lot of them are on TikTok, but whole pages I've never. I've only seen one female jailhouse. Like I think you might have seen this. Where it was a group of young. It was a group of them. They took like a picture or something. Mm-hmm. But make them, But that's the only time. You're right. You know. You don't see them. It, oh, it is, it's not the same in a women's prison at all. They're like you, you see how men shake hands. You yeah. can't shake no hands in a woman prison. You're going to the hole that's sexual. Like you can't sit too close. Like your chairs is the space that it must be. Like it's completely different. At least I'm speaking for IWP because that's where I did my time. I even went to the hole one time because me and a girl was in the bathroom too damn long. And then the security guard came by and we were sitting there laughing. They like, oh, that's the section. We like what? They stopped all movement. And we like, we were literally not doing anything. And they sent us to the hole. People have lost time for that. So like the women's prison, completely different. Is there a reason why it's so different? Do you know, is there a reason why it's, it's a, a structure? Structure. In women's prison, they don't have time for that. It's structure. Like, it's structure. And we are weak too. Like we're not gonna fight back. Nobody wants to go to the hall. We don't want to lose our visits. We don't want to do none of that. And plus, we don't do the same thing that men do. Now, there's people who do, the women who do, and there's guards that do stuff. But like when you see it in the women's prison, it's like, how did you even? How did y'all do that? Like how did you have time? Because they're literally on us. They got enough staff. Women don't do the same thing men do. Mm. <laughs> it's, just, it's just that. Like if something goes wrong, they don't stand. We don't. We don't. I don't think this necessary because they got it pretty locked down. But when you are a woman and been in prison and you look at how men prison is, it's unfair night and day. It's it's, it's night and day. There you could never do that shit. Bunking and putting up sheets and doing yeah. that. Never gonna happen. <laughs> it don't happen. And then the whole thing, like I said, they know that there's cameras and these men are online. Maybe you'll be in the hole so quick if they even thought that you thought they, about calling. And them. if you look at some of these, some of these, um, 
some of these prisons, man, these guys are living better than some of these people on the street. Yeah, they yeah. They got big screen TVs. They got Good. microwaves. They, I mean... I don't know where those prisons are located either, so I would love to know where they're located, but those prisons, they have no rules like the women's prison here. So I got put in there with a lifer because it don't matter. Like, she's been in there long before I was born. Wow. Um, I was there with... um I, don't, I ain't gonna shout out people on here, but I was there right. with a lot of people that we see in the news. I was there with them, and they're de- they're they're different people. You you know you hear the stories of what happened, but then when you're with this person and you're sitting, you like you did what? Like the Black Widow, I was with her, and she was a really good friend of mine. And I was just like, how did this little bitty lady kill all these men? Like it don't seem right, but she did it. And she in prison, but we sit with them. We sit with them. They're wow. very human and they're very normal. I mean, the women's prison is really disgusting. The stories that are told, I guess it's the same in a men's prison, but you would just think as a woman, like, how could you do such a thing to your own child or whatever? But it gets it gets rowdy. And I think that's where they have the structure so well, because we are very emotional beings. Like a man would kill a guy if he came in and he raped somebody, but like a woman to hear the things that they've done, but you sit in here and they, they freely, some of them freely tell their story. They don't care. It hurts a mother who really loved their kid and who's really trying to get home or really whatever. So I think it's just a structural thing why they keep the boundaries, how they do with us there. All right. You guys are watching the Taj Langeno show with Paradise Bradford, uh, the founder of Pretty Passionate Hands. It's been... <laughs> You got an amazing story. Like I told y'all before we started, I don't I don't know how you don't have a book. Yes. Or, Whoever uh, wanna publish TV. my book, just holla at me. I'm a, I'm you, you, need to, you need to call fifty or somebody, fifty and get you a TV. Fifty cent, holla at me. Anybody, <laughs> I'm ready to tell it because I mean this is just we just captioning little pieces on our way down the road how we got here right now. But yeah. it's been it's been a life for me that I wouldn't be able to tell and be who I am right now. Like I'm very powerful. I feel like there's nothing I can't do after all that. Right, because when I met when I met you, I didn't you couldn't tell like uh T D Jakes had a uh he had a message one day. He said, "I shouldn't be able to look at you and see and see your pain and see your your past, right? I shouldn't be able to look at you and see your past. You got to wash your face. Like when I met you, you wouldn't have been able to, you couldn't tell that you had been through all of that. You know what I mean? Some people still wear that, mm-hmm. you know. But you, you like you are now smiling, like you positive and full of energy and all that. You never would have known that you had that, you know, that kind of you know, the past that you things that you had to go through. But uh, sometimes what you go through is what make you who you are." absolutely you know, I, wouldn't you I wouldn't change a day like honestly i wouldn't and i mean like i said anybody who want to do this book when y'all read it y'all are like this is not real i call myself a lifetime movie and i used to love lifetime and i don't watch it no more because i think i jinxed myself <laughs> from watching it when i was younger i swear to god that is my that is what i always live by like i should never watch them because maybe that's the reason why you know but yeah, yeah. definitely it's a whole lifetime movie here like in this real life and i'm not ashamed of any of it because guess what we all live it just there's not people bold enough like i told you before that want to just tell the truth right so we really figure out how do we fix this how do we fix it you know so and, uh, um you're you're doing three years mm-hmm. and you get out you have this whole plan put out to help but you don't know that like you said you don't know that what you're doing is a is a non-for-profit so when did the when did your purpose and plan come into changing it and getting it making it serious and and then how did it how did it manifest into where it's at today? So um, in 2019, um, I did home care, um, hospice care, and I did home care. And um, 
you know, COVID had happened then I was pregnant with my son and I had him in 2020. So I was pregnant with him and I got sick from COVID. That's the day that I stopped working. Um, but I was planning on opening a 24 hour childcare because I truly believe in high quality childcare. And I don't think us people in my community understand what high quality childcare means. We are okay with sending our kids to daycare and they're out of control. They don't have a structure. And then when they go to kindergarten, we wonder why they keep calling us about the baby won't sit down. We think they got ADHD. They need the IEP. And that's not the case. High quality childcare is to prepare our children for school, for early childhood. That's what, that's what, what um, high quality childcare is. And in our community, because we own vouchers or we can't pay, we have these daycare providers that we know that are not giving our kids high quality childcare, but we know them. That's our sister or our, our cousin, or this is the daycare. But when you walk in there, you know that it's not right, but it became so normal for us that we, we take our kids there so they don't learn. So I decided then, um, I met my last child's father and he really pulled out the best in me. Um, I was managing businesses and he's like, why don't you do something for yourself? Nobody's ever had that conversation with me. And, um, He's just been very different than anything I've ever had. And I compare him to my grandmother. He's always accepted me for who I am. And he's been somebody who wanted the best for me genuinely, even before our child came in the picture. So three years before our child came, this was like my first healthy relationship where it was something that was showing what a relationship is for. So it's like, don't I want you to do something for yourself. Figure out what you want to do for yourself. Taught me how to build my credit, which was absolutely the best thing that could have happened in my life. Once I built my credit, cause like, what else do you want to do? And I'm like, I really don't know. Like we can't have those conversations that you don't know. So I was just like, I would love to get my kids in a better community. So I went seeing a realist, a realtor down the street. I was living on 37th and Kidwood. And uh, he was like, yeah, let me, like, let me see what this realtor going to do. He's like, what's your credit? I don't know. What's this? I don't know. How long you been working? Four years straight. I got all that part. So he's like, let's just try and see if it worked. And it worked. And they were like, we're going to give you $200,000 for a crib. And I'm sitting here like, is this really happening right now? So I was like, okay, I'm going to take my savings and I'm going to do this. So it, it, it played. <coughs> but to get back to the question, um, after that happened, I was like, okay, I'm on my own. I own my house, my credit. I started, you know, uh, really educating myself on what do you use credit for? What do you use this mm -hmm. for? And I ended up getting me a daycare spot. Um, I had connected with my little sister, sent me over some information. It was like, this lady's selling her daycare. Me, I'm like, I can't work in a daycare. Girl, I take care of seven kids, but I, I love business. So I'm like, I can manage this. Go over there, um, talk to the lady. <coughs> took my savings and it rounded up to about $20,000 um, from credit cards and just the support of the people that I knew. And um, I purchased the building, decorated everything. February came and then I was waiting for my um, 501c3 because when I was registering for a daycare, I didn't know what a 501c3 was. And they were like, if you want to register for a daycare and be a ministry, I'm just thinking of... Um, a ministry is going to be me able to give them more of a, a homey feeling and, you know, put these different things. Really didn't strategize it at all. I was just going with the flow. When right. I applied for a 501c3, some guy um, paid him a, a, a ridiculous amount of money to get one because I was like, okay, I'm going to take that path. Did that, but COVID hit. So February came, COVID hit, and everything stopped the government. So I didn't get the 501c3. Mm. I couldn't get my I couldn't get my child care license, couldn't do anything. So I was just stalled and here goes all of my money right in my face, like melting away. And the people that I rented from, they're like, if you ain't operating a business out of here, we're gonna have to get you up out of here. And I was like, 
No, like you got it's not. You didn't have a contract. You didn't have a rental agreement. You didn't. I did. So it was up in November because what I did is I took over the lady's lease that was there. So after the November came, then it would go into my name. But I had to pick up her lease and and finish off that lease. That was part of me like taking the daycare from her. So I got everything that was left there, but I just kind of did it my way. So November came, the paperwork hadn't came, nothing came. And so that was that was the rule. So they was like, you can't be here if, if it ain't running as a business. So that shot me in my chest and I felt that pain that I felt that day in that damn prison cell. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you, it can, you like, can at one point you just couldn't catch a break and still can't still can't <laughs> <laughs> and so um, after that happened I just watched my money and everything and I was like what am I supposed to do I, I did not want to go back to work and I, I see myself picking up the bottle a little too much way too frequently but again I had somebody standing next to me that was like nope we're not doing this that's just the first bump we got plenty of this happens all the time you know, having that support that I was speaking about. Like, this happens all the time. We're not giving up because you're used to it going this way. You're used to it only getting worse. Now, we're going to fix this. How will we, we move it to the next thing? That's just... So, this this sounds like, you know, very good guy, like high-value man. Uh, where is he at today? <laughs> he is still active. He's a fantastic father. We don't, we don't go together. Okay. He's more of my best friend. He's my best friend, and he's watching me grow into this wonderful woman, and I give thanks to him. Um, unconditional love for him and all of that but yeah no he's my business partner he is yeah he great so he's still around Uh, fantastic father to our son our son will be three in august and then my other children love him as a father as well like uh, 100 percent supportive everything i do sweet deal salute to him yes so all right we didn't got through the we didn't got through the babies we got through the prison we got through the you lost all the money because of COVID and bad time <laughs> on business. <laughs> You'd have been through it all. So now, pretty passionate hands. You have a location, thirty four twenty one North Park Avenue. Mm-hmm. And if anybody want to reach out, uh, we'll put this information there. Three one seven seven three seven six four three five. Yes. Now, so let's get to some bright side of things. This right? is a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the official website. If anybody want to go to the official website, log on to the official website at pphchildcare.org. All right. And one of the great things, and I think this is what started our conversation at the event, was the 24-hour daycare. Yes. Because, yes, that is necessary. So, let's get to some good stuff. So, all right. We got past all that. We got a location. We got now. What are we doing now for Pretty Passion Hands, aside from the 24-hour daycare? Okay, so what we're doing there is we give mentorship to our teen mothers and fathers. We basically, um, we, we get them in a safe space where they can come, they can eat, they can talk, they can do whatever they want to do. They can be their self, but they need to come and tell us what they need. And so once they tell us what they need, we build a, a, a structure around them to make them successful. If a child is already pregnant, then we're, we're educating that we're going to stop here until we get things right. So we, we're building that relationship with co-parenting with the father as well. The father is very much involved. So everyone, please know that we support teen mothers and fathers. So everything that we give to a mother, we give to a father as well. So educating them with safe sleep, how to take care of that baby when it gets here. We're teaching them um, CPR. So they're certified to CPR. We also teach them um, 
We teach them life skills. Um, we have a free doula that gives them services through their pregnancy at 28 weeks. So we have that support for them as well. So they're not going to doctor's appointments and don't know what's going on or being talked to. I had seven C-sections. So ring a bell on that. That is the reason why I'm very passionate about doulas. And I appreciate the indie doula workers that are supporting us with this. But um, I had seven C-sections back to back and nobody told me until my last C-section. And I'm very disappointed because they don't teach us these things. And being a child, how could you let a young woman come in here and do this to themselves? That didn't ring a bell. Social works didn't pop up in their head. But that all came because I was emancipated. So a lot of you women who out there, young ladies, thinking I'm going to get emancipated, they uh, expect for you to uh, act like an adult and know what an adult knows. But you lose that privilege of a child once you're emancipated. I want to make that very clear. So, um, that is that's how I got there and um, the doulas get free services so that is very passionate another thing safe sleep is very passionate about us we do that for any family mother father grandma anybody who needs safe sleep I lost my daughter in 2010 from SIDS she was three months old that would have been my 12 year old so I'm very passionate I am an instructor for safe sleep and I teach my classes to our families to un- from a heart from a place where I know how it felt to lose it and I didn't know how to do proper CPR to a child um at the moment not saying that would have saved my daughter's life but a lot of these things flashed in my head so once I realized what an instructor was I know now the purpose of keeping your child in a pack and play keeping your child in safe areas temperatures all of those things their head different areas that matters because once they're lost and they're gone it never fades I still think about what my daughter would look like and the lavender stands for my daughter Um, she was my baby girl that wore lavender all the time so that's where you're going to see pretty passionate hands the lavender it stands um or my daughter, her name is Andreana. So that is a huge thing that we provide as well. We have connected with our community neighbors um, and we're trying to see what our families need. So a lot of them that's trending right now in the community is how do we fix this? How do we fix gun violence? How do we do all these different things? We got to ask our people who are going through the trauma, what do they need? Not what we think they need. So Pretty Passionate Hands does that as well. My, My team mom comes in, Some of them come, like I said, they have support at home, but they really want to be independent. And they do know that what they're being told is right because they may have shamed their family. So they they wasn't even supposed to be pregnant. You know, they had better opportunities, but they want somebody to fill them and say, you know what? You is, it's cool, baby girl. Yeah, you did make mom mad and you know, and that's great because you do feel ashamed. Some of them don't feel ashamed. So it's great to know that you feel that, but then that gives her a safe space to understand. Somebody do understand. So... We, um, we do that as well, but we are just there to get back to the community. We got some great things that's happening. We're partnering with other places and organizations to give our families really what we need. And I say that as being a mother who walked down that road and what we needed. So um, look forward to all those things. Um, they can check the website. It tells them the programs we have open and offering at the moment, but there's more programs that's going to come throughout the year that we're working on. And you can also donate on the site and um, give your support. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a pretty passionate hand, so that way they can keep the program, um, they can keep that organization going. All right, yes. and on 34th and uh, 34th and Park, it's right away by college. 34th and Park or 34th and Fairfield, it's like right there. It's at the New Circle Church, so we're mm-hmm. a, a locked-in facility. We're at the New Circle Church. We're on the second floor, and uh, we're right there in the center of Indianapolis. I would say to me, I feel like it's like there. You can get bus passes. We got bus passes if y'all need a bus pass to get to us as well. We meeting you where you are. So whatever you need to do to get to us, we right here. We we gonna get why, you there. Um, a couple questions. Mm-hmm. One, why do you feel? Uh, I see this a lot, right? 
young girls, I've seen t- in today's generation, they they rather have a child than have. They think child first. I'd rather have a child. I don't want the marriage. I don't want the relationship. Just give me. I just want a baby. Why do you feel like they think that so young to where uh, they they don't see they don't see the other side of being young and having a kid? They, I think they just think the birth of it. I don't want to assume, but why? Why? Let me let me ask you from your experience. Why do you think these young girls feel like uh, you know having a kid young is cool? I'm going to hit you with something that I was thinking that you were aimed towards this, but I guess this is the moment. I have built this foundation and I've walked this walk, right? Okay. I don't can't answer that. I have a 15 year old daughter. She's my okay. second daughter. This is it. Like, I can't catch a break. She's pregnant. We just found out she's pregnant. And so I've done all this around her and it didn't work. So they do that for whatever reason. My reason is different. I asked my mom just when they come in, why did you get pregnant? Some of them can't answer. I know mine was I was looking for love. When I had my daughter, that's the first time I felt love. Like I genuinely felt like it's somebody in my life who's not going to leave me, who's not going to abandon me and that depends on me. So it gave me a purpose that no matter what, and I still hold on to that with my children. Like, I feel like no matter what, as long as I'm a mom, I don't care if I'm a husband. Uh, I mean, I don't care if I have a husband. I don't care if I have degrees. As long as I have a mom and my kid can give me back that feedback from the care that I give to them, that validates me. That's my reason. But I asked my daughter this. Why would you do this? Like, what was the reason behind it? You were playing basketball. You know, you have every single thing. I ask her every day, what is it that you want? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Still ain't got the answer. My my thing is the influence on social media. We see all these babies that stressed up. Mommy and my baby. My baby look like this. I'm braiding my baby's hair. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And there's no dad sitting there with them. But these little girls are on their phone strolling. And that's what has become. So once they see the first post, you know, it start posting. The other posts start popping up with this girl and her baby and this one and her. And they think, oh, that is so cute. That's so cute. And they're not seeing what's happening behind yeah. the scenes. That's number one, I believe, for me. Number two is their environment. You know, I ain't never been the perfect mom. I still have my struggles right now, but I just learned that I couldn't expect nothing from my daughters if I'm not giving it to them. Yeah, they see me go to work every day. Yeah, they see that I try to do the things I got to do. But now that I found my purpose and I can walk next to them and show them this isn't work. Like, I don't do this for somebody else. This is me. My my daughter now tells me I want to do a business like my mom. She takes my classes as well. So there's classes that I don't attend so she can be herself. And they all say, your daughter is very proud of you. Like, she wants to be so much like she probably wouldn't want to be this way two years ago because I wasn't doing this but if I don't show them what I want them to do how can they do anything if I don't put them in the places for them to think that it's possible how could they be this I couldn't be the person I am today sharing my story if I started it in Terre Haute but when I came to Indianapolis I went down I come from I'm from Niles and it's Niles Michigan it's a small town it's a lot of white people who lead everything so when I came to Indianapolis it felt so unreal to me that there was a black banker, a black, a black teller in the bank. It was weird to me that the manager at Wendy's was black. Like it was really like a culture shock to me because we don't have a place where black people are in control. So that right there was a bell for me that I can do anything I want to do. Look at all of these black people. Like when I seen that black people run businesses, they own the businesses in Indianapolis. 
I was a small girl and Indianapolis looked like a whole New York to me because I was like, look, I can do this. But just think of how many other girls and, and, and boys who are places where they don't think it's only on the TV. You got to be like this. You only can be rich if your family's rich, but not that that is not the case. We don't right. do that until you put them in that situation or put them in that atmosphere. So I can't answer that other than they're not being led correctly. And that ain't always it because I know fantastic mothers who are oh, living life. Mom, dad in the house. Grandma lives in the house kids are going to do what they want to do and I can speak for myself I didn't have it that bad in the beginning but I didn't know how good my grandma was trying to make it for me it's just she was old school so everything I was chasing towards put me down the road that I was led down but who I am is who my grandma had my core values as and I know what she wanted and what she installed in me it just took me 30 years to realize that though but I've always had what she taught me inside of me and now I'm very proud at 30 that my daughter is pregnant because the nonprofit was going to fail for me a couple months ago after my brother got killed in September and my stepfather died. He was my father in uh, 2020, 21. And then I'm taking care of my mom, have a lot on my plate. And then my kid's grandma just died in December from a sudden heart attack. And I was just ready to give up. I was ready to give up because I couldn't celebrate my growth of getting my building. I couldn't celebrate the the organization growing. I couldn't celebrate anything because so many things was happening. And then the day I was going to give up, my daughter told me she's pregnant. And I feel that that was my purpose from God to say, you ain't giving up. You have no choice now. Right. You have no choice. I feel now that if nobody sits in those classes or sit in my building, but my daughter, I'm going to see myself, my, I'm going to see my foundation blossom through her. So that that's another story I can tell somebody like this right here. She was one of y'all. If you do it this way, I promise you it's going to work. And I told my daughter, I'm not mad at you. You just challenged me. You just gave me a reason to do what I can have a second chance at doing. But now I'm going to see it in the, I'm going to see it. And it's going to tell everything outside of it. It ain't going to be just me saying you should do things this way. I can literally say, I'm that mom now. I'm that mom of a teen mom. My story has changed so much since November 1st of 2022. So much. And I, I I can't believe it. I just know something huge is coming. Something huge. The room you met me in, I wouldn't have been in there if I didn't, if my brother wasn't murdered in September. I wouldn't have been in there. I was trying to find things that was going to make me happy. Things that are going to make me forget about what's happening at home. Wow. You know, I was... You know that that room uh, was electrifying. It was fun. It was exciting. And you know, I kind of came out even out of my shell that night because I'm usually laid back, just walking up to people and just talking. I'm usually just laid back. So I made it a point to that night I was going to you know shake hands and kiss babies. You know what I mean? So um, you know, it was yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so I was a little, I was a little fly in that room. Really, I feel so out of place. That everybody know each other, everybody look good. I had just got out from the office, and I'm like, I'm gonna go here and see what's going on. So when you addressed me, that just broke it for me. I was like, okay, yeah. they like me in here too. <laughs> but you know, everybody didn't know everybody. Some, yeah, a lot of them did, but you know, it, um, I just jumped out there and just started. Hey, what do you do? What's your name? You know, and once you do. A, once you go, once you get that first conversation out the way, you know, usually the rest of it is pretty cool. So you got to make, make, oh man, your story. Yes. 
Yeah. I can't answer that question for you. I don't know. We still, I think it's a lot of us that still don't know. Why do you do that when you just seen? I mean, that's the same with anything in life. Why you do that? Why? You got, we got those team mothers are the ones that got to bump their head. You know, it's like, okay, go ahead out there and do it this so you can see. That's that group of us is what I say. Because we got moms who have a miscarriage and they said that scared the shit out of me. I'm never doing it again. Never going to have sex until I'm married. And they literally don't have sex until they're married again because that's scared. Then you got us who just we hard headed. Yeah. You got to show me. Show me that. Life, life will show you. you got <laughs> so that too. But I do truly believe their influence with the new trending because it has picked up. Like the girls now, like you said, it's the normal. It used to be, oh, I'm going to get married and have a baby. So let me go hurry up and get married to the first guy that loved me. Now it's like, I'm going to have his baby. Baby mama's trending because all of these influencers and celebrities are baby mamas now. Like they don't care. And even, like, and even reality TV shows. Yeah. You know what I mean? Are based, it, are based around you have a kid at a t- in the teenage. Yeah, doesn't matter. Teenager. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Um, you know, again, anybody wants, if you are a teen mother, if you are in an abusive situation, maybe you're not abusive. And a father. I got you. <laughs> uh, and whether you're in an abusive situation or not, uh, no matter your, whatever your situation is, um, you know, pretty passionate hands can give you the assistance that you need. 24-hour daycare. Now, Let's talk about that real quick. Twenty four the twenty four hour daycare is that at the location at Park Avenue? No. So I have a home crisis childcare right now that we're doing at my house. I'm looking for a facility because okay. what I do believe in this time is I bumped my head in 2020. So I will not do that again. Um, I'm looking for a facility um, for the organization's childcare to open a 24 hour childcare. So right now we're working on. Where, where is it going to be at? And then how do we fund it? So that's another thing. So anybody out here who's loving this story and really want to get involved and you can help in those areas, we are looking for a space for that. So I am a licensed child care provider. My home is a licensed child care for my teen parents who are in a crisis. And then also we got other little things that we, you know, help people who might be online and say, hey, I'm in a, I'm in a support group for moms. So we, we have enrollment for them. We are full at the capacity right now. But we that the purpose is to have a child care on each side of Indianapolis for moms, dads, grandmas, anybody who need that support and you can't afford child care. There are some moms who are like, you know, nurses just got into their <clears throat> career. And, you know, they think that once you get paid $25 an hour, you turn in your first check, you lose your vouchers, you lose everything. And then this mom is like, dang, I got this job so I can catch up, you know, but you lose your benefits. I want to stop that. I want our moms to stop thinking we can't work an extra weekend because we're going to lose our food stamps or we're going to lose our WIC or we're going to lose our uh, daycare. So if you do, that's fine. They can come here for free until you get your checks and then we'll figure out what balance will, is okay and enough for you. That's the purpose behind it. And then well, we, definitely, uh, we definitely got some resources out there that can help you. Hopefully it can help you find a building. So yeah. you know, we'll, we'll talk offline about that. We'll talk offline about that. Okay. Um, so is there a waiting list? Is there like a, they go on the website to sign up? Yeah. So you go on my website. Um, if you go down to the programs, there is a child care there and it, it prompts them that we do have a wait list right now, but you can get on there. I am also trying to partner with other child cares that can fill them in. But I know the purpose behind ours is just to make sure that it doesn't matter what shift you work. It doesn't matter what's going on. We got some care for you and you got high quality care where um, I was a mom that was scared to work certain shifts because I'm like, are they going to take care of my kids? And that's a barrier. And it's not fair it because is. you can pay more money if you work night shift or maybe have to work a split shift or whatever like that. But you can't take advantage of that pay because you don't have childcare. 
and a lot of our homes will be taking care of that. But then you got moms that I was, I wanted good childcare. And I knew that only the, the state gonna walk in in the daytime. So if you are a high quality childcare, at least my kids get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because in the day shift, they all gonna do the right shit. It's after six o'clock that the other the daycare workers be like, sit down, get over there. You know what I'm saying? They don't care. So it should be that way 24 hours and a mother shouldn't have to be afraid because I can't afford a high quality childcare for me to be able to, you know, take my kid to daycare and know that they're going to eat. And Okay. So let me, let me ask you. So what all things are, um, does your daycare provide and what are the kids learning in this so, industry? My daycare is um, at my home is a 24 hour childcare. So in daytime, they get curriculum. So we do okay. play curriculum. So if the baby's three years old, we painting, we doing all that, those different things. We're outside, they're doing activities, they're eating properly. They're not eating, you know, bull crap. They're eating fulfilling meals that a child deserves to eat. Um, at a child care, they're taking their naps on time and we're getting them up and doing different things. They're active. So it's an active child care. Um, even the night shift is we don't force the kid to go to sleep. So if you got your kid on a bad pattern, that's okay as well. But we do influence that, you know, when it's time to lay down, they lay down, but they also get to work. We do the homework with them. We're feeding them at a proper time and also getting them prepared with their, whatever it is that the family may need out on that shift. It's completely different than a family with daytime. So mom may have barriers. We will wash the clothes. We meet our families where we are. They also receive the benefits from the nonprofit. So if I see a mom struggling with diapers, she will receive diapers. I'm not a person that's going to say, oh, we ain't got no diapers. Your baby can't come. We're meeting the families where they are. And if we see they can benefit from the organization, they get that service as well. All right. Mm -hmm. EPA is pretty, pretty passionate hands. Um, Let's see. I think we didn't, I think we covered almost everything. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we got we got the twenty four hour daycare now. Oh, question: Do you also help them find jobs? And yeah. are you teaching them? And I saw on the website, but I want you to speak on this too. So you helping them find work, and you also teaching them the most, one of the most crucial things you don't get in school, and that's financial literacy. Absolutely. Okay, so speak on that. Speak on that aspect for the job and. What are you teaching them? Just the credit side? Are you teaching them budgeting? So what? Just talk about that for a little bit. Oh, we do. Um, we do budgeting essentials is what we call it, and that goes all the way from how to manage food stamps to how to buy a house. Mm, okay. So we're touching all those things. Why those are important to me is because I did not know until somebody taught me, and I believe that you shouldn't have to go looking for that when you get to that door. We need to be educated, like you said, from the beginning. And if you do, it could change your life. It changed my life, literally, when I found out what credit is for and how you properly use it. So I teach my moms how to use your food stamps. A lot of us say we ran out of food stamps. We ain't got this. No, you're not using them correctly. You're overbuying stuff that that doesn't need to be bought. And so we teach them there, how do you manage your food stamps if you get 300 food stamps a month for you and your baby? It's enough. That's why they put that scale there because they're looking at it how you should properly buy. And in our households, we don't, we just kind of, we're surviving. We're going to pay the electric this week. We're going to pay the water bill this week. We're going to put a little bit on the rent. We're going to do this, but we got bottles. We got weed. We got cigarettes. We ain't got to worry about how we're going to get that. So then we, we, we scale them back on when you get a paycheck, this is how you properly use it. So I'm t- teaching my families life skills, life skills, just in a basic home. How do you properly go to McDonald's and make $300 a week and $900 a month? You can still survive if you properly use it. 
and then and then the financial literacy when it goes a little higher i do have instructors and i have a banker who they will come in and they teach the stuff that i don't know like for my moms who really need to understand what a percentage is because i ain't gonna lie like when i bought my house i didn't know any of that i didn't know what the percentage rate this 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 sometimes they still ask me questions i'm like i don't know the square feet of my house like i didn't do that much googling about it but those are things we need to know and now i know that it's not just when you buy the house you still have people when you're having conversations they want to know these things so we teach them that through um the financial literacy class um like I said, I get the professionals to come in and teach them the things they need. Like you said, break down credit scores and break down bank accounts, those different things. But myself, I teach them how it is to be a struggling single mother or father from the hood. And we got to make $300 worth of food stamps last. I teach them that because they that's the scale that they're on right now. Right. Then, now, I know you're saying it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Okay. No, so, and then you also, you know, you're, the whole thing is pretty passionate hands meets people where they are as, as you say mm-hmm. when does it hit these young girls that's having babies in in their teenage years that ain't no more ain't no partying like when does it really hit them that it's it's not over but you've really changed how your personal life is really going to go like i got a i got a phrase for people i want you all to tell that this is what i tell people all the time if you love your money love your freedom <laughs> and if you love your freedom and your money you wait to have kids absolutely i don't think it um brings a bell until they become who they are and they realize i could have done this differently shit yeah. that's it um only because like speaking for myself i didn't know like vacations I didn't know about taking vacations and how lit and how vacations really are supposed to be until I, until I started being around people who really take vacations, you know? And now every time I look on some, I'm like, dang, that was all that was a thousand. I spend a thousand dollars for these kids every week, every month, you know, but this is what you're supposed to be doing. But if they don't have people around them who are going on summer break, and obviously if you come from a household where summer break ain't, we ain't going nowhere summers you go outside and play then they don't see further than that right you know but then once they do get into who they are and you start networking and you connecting them and showing them what purpose of life is and what you're supposed to do which is the thing that we do we take them to the pacers games because what they need to know and even me as a mother on our saturdays if you can go party go take your kids to the park Go take your kids somewhere, but we want to open up it to make it brighter. Take them to the Pacers games because you can do that as well. So sacrifice a couple weeks and set $30 aside and then go pay $100 for your family. Go to the Pacers game. And then what we do when we're there, we have funding that we use to let them buy souvenirs and let them go to the concession stand and actually experience the whole thing. So y'all do it pretty Okay, Contact, get on the website right now, uh, (laughs) pphchildcare.org. Call the, the official uh, call the, the phone number is 317-737-6435 location 3421 North Park Avenue Indianapolis Indiana 46205 founder is Paradise Bradford. I want y'all to 24. know one thing if I okay. can. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. But I will tell you Pretty Passionate Hen is like no other organization. What we are doing is breaking generational curses. We are meeting families where they are and we are building a lifestyle around our families to really meet our needs and put us in places we need to be by 
life skills, like hands-on. Like we're not going to tell you what you need to do. We're going to take you and show you what we're going to do. We're right here side by side with you. That's what makes us completely different because a lot of people say, why are you different than anybody else? Because our organization, we do things different. We actually want them to see if I take you here, do you like it? And they do like it and they want to come back. So do the things to get there, you know, but you got to take, you got to get them involved. Like you got to do it. You can't just talk. We do it. We do, do it. You, and we are real. Um, how many people are part of PPH? Staff or family? Yeah, staff. Like, like, <laughs> you need, are you looking for volunteers? Do you need, I am looking for hiring? Volunteers. Do you need new people? Do you need people? Like, yes. the, I need a whole lot of help. So right now, my 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 crew is me, and then I have Miss Pam, and then I have Miss Paisley. Those are, are my three fans. We, we three five. Like we okay. we doing our thing. But I definitely need support. I need social okay. media help. We need volunteers for donations. We need people to come out and help us execute our classes. We're gonna summer is gonna be very busy for us because the kids are out of school. So we ain't trying to make no more babies and have them sneaking out. We need to get them active and do things. So I need people to come and help me do my program activities i need people to come and bring their kids that need that support give them a place to come because we need families to serve if we can't serve families then there's nothing there's no need for us to exist so we need everybody to know that we're there but advocate share the word if you got a teen cousin that's pregnant whatever send them our way so we can give them the resources they need all right paradise bradford PPH, Pretty Passionate Hands, located again at 3421 North Park Avenue. Phone number 317-737-6435. Website, pphchildcare.org. Uh, I don't know. I think I think we hit on everything. Is there anything that we have not touched on that you want to speak on yourself? I don't think so. I think, I, I think yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. If anybody got any questions around the ride the book, hey, I'm right here. I'm ready to I'm ready to share it. All right, we're gonna talk to you more about so building much. and um, a few other things to see if we can get you some help. Um, so get these young ladies uh, some assistance and and see what we can do to you know help you out over there. But um, we want to thank you for you know taking our time to come on the show and tell your story. Uh, you got an amazing story. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, you know, one of the things I always tell I always tell people, and I, and I always like to, you know, we're having these real conversations. Is your life experience is not how you start the race, how you finish. Mm-hmm. And people say that when you're born, you look like your parents; when you die, you like your decisions. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so like even though, <laughs> so even though y'all do make, you know, you don't make the right decisions in your early years, you got time to change it. You don't got to go kill yourself. You don't got to go jump off the deep end. There's time to fix it. Yeah. But you got to give yourself an opportunity to do so and reach out to those who can and will help you and things will get better. You're a prime example. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. We appreciate you. Is there anything that you want to leave, leave these young ladies with or any, any last quotes or anything like that? No, I just would like to. Oh, well, yes. I said no. I said, yeah, I would like to say I would like to tell every young mother and father. It is not the end. It's not a bad thing that you got pregnant. It's just the wrong timing. A pretty passionate hands is here and we work with each family, one child at a time. All right. Thank you for everybody watching the Ties Launching No Show. Remember, do not forget, download the, uh, the official app, buy some merch, and um, each one, reach one, teach one. Y'all stay blessed out there. Thank you.